Canaan. It's all about Jesus. It's not about religion, it's about relationships. Where beginners are welcome. Where forgiveness is offered. Where hope is alive. And it's okay to not be okay. All right, well, good morning. Hey, it's great to see everybody, uh, both here and online. So thanks for choosing to spend part of your day worshiping our Lord and Savior, our King, uh, together, uh, corporately. Uh, if you have your Bible, go ahead and get it out. We're going to go to the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, so kind of, I know it's, we've had a few weeks where there have been different things going on. You know, we had uh, our student Sunday when the youth ministry got up here and led worship. That was awesome. And then we had Mother's Day. And then last Sunday, you know, I had this thing of a, called a wedding uh, with my daughter getting married. And uh, some of you went down there. It was a great time. And uh, so they just got back from their honeymoon, back to the real world, going to work and all that fun stuff, right? But uh, just really excited about what the Lord's doing there. But today we're coming, coming back through the series we were doing back in April, uh, which is Vivify. And uh, this series has been about just the, the relationships that God blesses us with that brings life to us. That's what the word vivify means, to, to enliven, to bring life to. And for God's, God's grand plan, God made us as relational beings and first and foremost, to have a relationship with him. We talked about that on Easter Sunday, the relationship we have with Christ because of the gospel, because of the death, burial, and resurrection of King Jesus. And then we also, because of, that, because of his resurrection and that relationship, then he can bring so much life to us through other relationships. We talk about the marriage relationship. We talk about the, the parent-child relationship. We talk about employer-employee relationship. We just kind of went through Ephesians chapter 5 and 6 looking at all that. Well, we're going to end our series today talking about friends. Now, all of us have friends at various levels. Friendship's a big deal, isn't it? You know, I, I, going back to like middle school and, and high school, you know, just the, the quest for friends. And because sometimes, and this is not true just for middle school teenagers, but also for adults, sometimes we're, we're so zealous for friendships that sometimes we're even willing to make some compromises in our own life and compromises and even some of our values and even compromises in God's word in order to facilitate and cultivate those friendships. So we're gonna look today about how do we navigate friendships? What is, what is a true friend? What does a true friend do? And what are some different levels of friendship and how do we navigate that with the gospel? So we're gonna talk about that today as we look at the book of Ecclesiastes chapter four. So if you have that open, go ahead. And just while you're turning there, just a little quick, brief background of Ecclesiastes. It's a, it's a, it's a great book. It is, uh, if you read the first, well, all except the very last few verses, you kind of come away feeling hopeless. You know, it's almost like the philosophy of nihilism, you know, going on. Uh, but you get to the end. And so what Solomon has done, King Solomon, very wise uh, king, he kind of experimented with a lot of life. And he kind of looked at life and how, how do I find satisfaction in life? What's, what's the meaning of life? What is the purpose and the function? And, you know, why should I pursue and what should I pursue all these different areas of life? And so, you know, he experimented. He was wealthy. He had many, many, many wives. And so he withheld nothing from himself as far as wealth and pleasure. And with all that money, he built parks and he had feasts and parties. He, you know, he would, had work. I mean, he had all these things and Kind of you read the first few chapters, it's everything is meaningless and futile and all of this. Well, embedded in that first part where it sounds so futile, he does find this little gem about the importance of friendship. And so that's where we're at, Ecclesiastes 4. We're going to read verses 7 through 12. So if you could please stand and honor the reading of God's word. And 
That would be an awesome thing. You're welcome to stand at home too. I uh, just won't know if you're standing or not. Uh, so Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse, starting in verse seven. It says, again, I saw futility under the sun. There's a person without a companion, without even a son or a brother. And though there's no end to all of his struggles, his eyes are still not content with his riches. So who am I struggling for, he asks, and depriving myself from good? This too is futile and a miserable task. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts. For if either falls, his companion can lift him up, but pity the one who falls without another to lift him up. Also, if two lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one person alone keep warm? And if someone overpowers one person, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, again, thank you for the gift of relationship. First and foremost, relationship with you through the power of the gospel, through Jesus, what you've done for us on the cross and your death and your burial and your resurrection, you substituting yourself in our place to receive the, the wrath and the punishment, the justice that we deserve on our behalf so that now we're free, free to receive grace and mercy and forgiveness and everlasting life and a purpose-filled life because you have taken our shame, our reproach, and our sin from us. Jesus, thank you for being the truest and greatest of all friends to us. But Lord, also thank you for the human relationships that we've already talked about. And God, what we're talking about today, the gift of friendships. Lord, a true, godly, intimate friend is so incredibly rare. So Lord, for those who are in this room who have that kind of a godly, gospel-centered friend, we praise you. Lord, for many in this room that may not have that friend in their life, we pray you would raise that friend up. But God, even more so, you, we pray you would help us to be that friend to many others. And so, Lord, there's a lot you can do today in our hearts and minds, and I know you have plans for every one of us that none of us are here by coincidence or accident today. So, God, we just pray that you accomplish your purpose for every one of us this morning for your glory's sake. We love you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. Go ahead and be seated. So, just kind of diving right in. If you have your, uh, uh, some of you got the hard copy of the sermon notes, you can get those out. If you have our, our app, Canaan STL app, you can open that up and Follow along in the sermon notes or there on the, on the digital app and fill in, and fill in blanks and all that as we go. The big thought this morning is simply this, that God created us for a relationship. Not a single one of us was created to be by ourselves, to be alone. Loneliness has never been a good thing, amen? You're not convinced. <laughs> Loneliness has never been a good thing, amen? That's right, we want friends, we yearn for friends, and, and every one of us, even, even the most introverted person who may think they seek total isolation, at some point in time, understands and, and discovers that yearning within their soul for a friend. And so we're created for that. Ultimately, a relationship with God, and then, of course, with humanity. Of course, when Jesus is asked, what's the greatest of all the commandments, it's all about relationship. He responds, the greatest commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like to love your neighbor as yourself. So the greatest two commandments are all centered around relationship, right? So we're not created to be alone. In fact, very um, early on in the, in, in the book of Genesis, chapter 2, 
Here's what God said. It is not good for mankind to be alone, right? And the word man refers to mankind here. Uh, but in this case, it was Adam to be alone. So I will create a, a helper, a complement for him, right? So it's never been. This is before the fall. This is before things went south. This is before sin entered. Even before, when in Genesis 1, God said it, he made everything and looked and said, it is very good. So in the very good status, it was not good for man to be alone. Loneliness has never been a good thing. But you look at some statistics, there are some loneliness struggles here in our nation. We're kind of seen as a friendly nation, but a lonely nation. And this manifests in different ways. You know, we're um, statistically, we are very depressed compared to other nations, which is ironic because we're, you know, probably one of the most financially well off nations in the world. So we have stuff, we have our creature comforts. But we're void on relationship, we're lonely. Um, so one out of five adults regularly or often feel lonely, that's pretty huge. On the, on the right it says on average people have five close friends, that's average. And this is in their entire life, this isn't a snapshot of now, this is over a lifetime, close, intimate friend. So this was tasks on different, you know, you have um, men and women, 22% men are lonely, 15% of women. Millennials got a generational breakdown. Millennials are the, more, the most lonely. Um, just about 1% of the Gen Xers, boomers. The elders are least lonely. Um, single marriage, you see all that. Just some interesting statistics there dated from uh, 2015. But loneliness is a big deal. But when we're talking about friendships, the reason that relationships are important is because God in his wisdom knows that we're better together than we are by ourselves, and so go back to the big thought again, you know, God created us for relationship. We all need friends, right? Because we're better together than we are alone. Back in farming days, how many of you grew up on a farm? Anybody grew up on a farm in here? A few of you, okay. Uh, did you ever, in, back in the old days before we had tractors and all kinds of mechanical stuff, we would plow fields by yoke, yoking oxen together or, you know, mules that sort of thing. And so a yoke was a powerful instrument because a yoke would take at least two creatures, right, and bind them together that would enhance their productivity. So you have one ox, and an ox can uh, pull his own weight. So I just learned after first service, I can't believe I didn't know this, that oxen are all males. First service saying ox, he's and she's, whatever. No, ox is just a, just a male. I didn't know that, but anyway. So oxen are yoked together. One ox can pull his own weight, about 2,500 to 3,000 pounds. So you would think when you put two oxen together that they could pull, you know, 6,000 pounds. It's not the case. They pull double their weight. They can pull 12,000 pounds. It's the power of the yoke. So I think it's a good picture for life and relationships. When we are yoked together with someone in relationship, we are multiplied in our productivity, our effectiveness, our spiritual life can be you know, exponentially enhanced, not only ours, but also those whom we're yoked with. And so that's just a powerful visual that God gives us to understand the power of relationship, why we need each other. You can only do so much by yourself, but you can do exponentially more when you're yoked together in friendship and fellowship with other people, especially believers. So friends are so valuable in our lives. So we see that here in Solomon's text. 
the, the power, the, the value of having friendship. So let's look at what you will do as a godly friend, that you will vivify other people's lives as their friend uh, in, in this Ecclesiastes text. So first, you will help a fallen friend get up. He says very clearly here in verse 10, for if either falls, his companion can lift him up, but pity the one who falls without another to lift him up. So lift each other up. Proverbs chapter 17, which is a great book. Proverbs has so much in there about friendship. It's just a good read. Um, I usually read a proverb a day because there's 31, so one day, of, one day each, uh, for each day of the month. But Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Now all of us have times where we fall, amen? We have times when life happens, when you know, we have a death in our family, we uh, get sick, or someone in our family gets sick, or we, we lose our job, or someone we know and love in our family loses their job, or um, you know, we have a, there's a breakup, or there's all kinds of situations where we fall. And that is when we recognize, yet again, the importance of having a friend. So a, a godly friend will help a fallen friend because of tragedy. When they're down, because of tragedy. You know, it's, you know just my, my dad passed away in March, as a lot of y'all know, and y'all have been so great. Our church family has been fantastic at just asking, sending notes, cards, phone calls, just lifting us up. It's been such a blessing. And I see you doing that also just, you know, with, you know, Annette Easter's dad passed away this past weekend and I saw a lot of you come out and just love them and just all the, so many of you that have lost, I've seen the church just rally and be there for each other, being good friends. That's what godly friends do. But tragedy happens and to not have friends around you in those times it just would just be even worse. That's why, that's why Solomon says, pity the one who falls without another to pick them up. So be there, be the friend, be the kind of friend that's there in times of tragedy. Secondly, we'll help a fallen friend get up when she, he or she is down because of others' inflicted wounds. And we do a lot of nasty things to each other as human beings, don't we? We betray, we can lie, we can cheat, we kill, we you know, steal. I mean, there's just a lot of bad things humanity does to one another abuse and just, oh, it's awful. Well, no doubt all of us have been in the, on the recipient end of that. We've had friends that are on the recipient ends of that. So how have you been that godly friend who's been there to help pick someone up when that's happened in their life from others' inflicted wounds? But also, we're to pick them up from self-inflicted wounds. Now, this is where... I don't know, it's kind of the measure of truer friendship, you know, when someone is kind of getting their consequences that really they deserve. What do you do? Do you just kind of back off and say, well, they're just getting their consequences? Or are you the friend that hangs in there with them, even though you know they're getting their consequences, but you love them through that, you walk with them through that? We've kind of, Tara and I, we've been, that's my wife, we've been kind of given that opportunity where we have a, a, a good friend, a lifelong friend, we did, Youth ministry together down in Texas back in the 90s, long time ago. And um, his wife passed away about eight years ago of ovarian cancer, and it was just a tragic thing. Well, after his wife died, he was just kind of in a tailspin of life, and he got into some stuff that he had no business getting into, illegal 
and he got busted. And he's now currently serving a six-year sentence in prison in Arkansas. And when that happened, he came out what he did. You know, he had a lot of people in his life kind of got away from him, which, you know, I get that. And we found out what he had done because he, he came up here to tell us. He wanted us to hear from him what he had done and what was going on. And I'm not, not going to get into the details of what he did, but it was shocking. So we were tempted just to say, well, you go, you do your time because that's what you deserve. But we just had this love for him, though, in our heart that God had placed there and we decided to walk with him through this. And so we're staying in contact while he's in prison and, you know, praying for him. And right before he went to prison, he got remarried. He's very repentant, very humble about it and got his life back on track with the Lord. But, you know, just walking through that was really hard. And it had been so easy for us just to say, can't believe you did that. You get everything you deserve. And us to kind of take a step back. You know, that was so tempting, but... God just gave us a love for this guy that we've had all of his life and empathy and sympathy. Definitely a self-inflicted wound, but you know, God calls us to be friends. What kind of friend is Jesus to us? Jesus abandoned us? Does he ever say, that's just too much? That sin is just, that's the kicker. I'm, I'm done. Does Jesus ever do that with us? Aren't you glad he doesn't do that with us? I mean, he never forsakes us. Amen? Never, he said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That's so powerful. He's a true friend. And anyway, as we, as we met with our friend, he's telling us what he was facing. You know, it was just, it was scary. And then he made a comment like this, and I saw this meme and it reminded me of, of this story. Things are never quite as scary when you've got a best friend. How true is that, you know? We can face some really scary things in life, some horrible things. To go through those alone is just unthinkable. But man, we have a friend beside us, Jesus first and foremost, but also flesh and blood, humanity friends beside us going through that as well makes a big, big difference. Are you that kind of friend? Secondly, you will meet your friend's needs. He goes on here in verse 11. He says, if two lie down together, they can, they can keep warm, but how can one person alone keep warm? So the idea of keeping each other warm is meeting each other's needs, being there for each other. And of course, a variety of, of Proverbs talks about this. Proverbs 27, six says, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Proverbs 15, I don't put it in here, but it's very similar, it says, Better are the wounds from a friend than the kisses from an enemy. Because a true friend isn't just concerned about telling you what you want to hear, right? A true friend is focused on your needs. What do you need in your life? What needs to be said or done? You know, and so a true friend focuses on you becoming a better person, focuses on you becoming a more godly person. And that's huge. So we see it's contained to physical needs. Um, are, you, are you seeking to meet physical needs in, in a friend's life? Are they seeking to meet physical needs in your lives? And, you know, this is, again, just bragging on our church family to see, you know, like when we have people that have surgeries or, 
whatever, this church is great about, you know, being there with, with meals and, you know, sending cards and, and that sort of just meeting those physical needs. In fact, my wife and I, we, we've had two kids since we've been here and we got so many great meals after that. We thought, we got to keep having kids, keep giving these great meals, you know. But, you know, we're, we're done, so no more of those meals. Man. Uh, but, but meeting physical needs is such a huge, huge blessing. Secondly, you will, you'll meet their mental and their emotional needs. I think we're only beginning as a culture to understand the seriousness and, and the legitimacy of mental and emotional health. Um, it's a big deal. You know, we're, we're great that when we, you know, get hurt physically, we break an ankle or a wrist or whatever, as many of my kids have, and we're quick to take them to the doctor, the ER, or whatever, but when there's mental issues or emotional issues, we're not as quick to recognize those as legitimate needs, and they are. They're very legitimate needs, and just having a friend to talk to, a friend to listen, a friend to be there goes such a long way in helping someone in their mental and emotional health and stability. So that's so, so important. And then, of course, you have the spiritual needs, the most important one of all. You know, friends are a gift from God. Friends are, you know, godly friends who love Jesus and who love you are just a gift from the Lord. And a true friend like this, there are gonna be times where they tell you something you might not wanna hear. They may not agree with you in everything, and they may take a stand against something where you're talking about. But if you know they love you, listen to what they're saying, because maybe, maybe God's pursuing speaking to you through your friend. You know, a friend doesn't have to agree with you on every decision you make, but a true friend's gonna love you and tell you truth because they love you, amen? In a way that they love you, but you can trust that. That's kind of what the Proverbs was getting at. But you can meet their spiritual needs. Accountability, accountability is such a rare gem in the Christian life where you have a friend, a Christian brother or sister that loves you, that you love them, that can hold you accountable, that can ask you hard questions, that, can, that you've given them permission to kind of delve into your life a little bit. That is so priceless. I know we have quite a few uh, discipleship essential groups and men's groups, and you know, those are intended to have this kind of built-in accountability where we ask some tough questions. Those questions, we need to be asked those questions because we cannot do this alone. Number three, you will stand with your friend. So here in verse 12, Solomon says, if someone overpowers one person, two can resist him. We just face things in life that we can't, we can't beat on our own. Addictions are powerful, you know, Ungodly relationships, especially when they become intimate, are powerful in our lives. And to overcome those, well, we just really can't do that by ourselves. We need the power of Christ in us, but also to have friends around us to steer us in the right direction. To listen to those friends. Proverbs chapter 18, 24 says, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother, one that sticks with you through thick and thin, through the good times and the bad times. This meme says, friendship isn't about who you've known the longest, it's about who walked in your life, said I'm here for you, and proved it. Friend stands by your side, stands with you through the tough times, stands with you, stands for you, 
stands against whatever is trying to overpower him or her. That's what a friend does. Takes risks, sacrificial, puts it on the line for that friend. That's what a friend does. But it does bring up a question. Brings up the question, are there times when we shouldn't stand with the friend? What if that friend's trying to stand for something ungodly? Then yeah, we should not. We should stand with the friend, but in the way of pointing them to truth, not to stand up for something ungodly. This is kind of where our culture is, right? So I want to talk about this a little bit. How do we know when to stand with a friend or when to speak, try to speak life into a friend, speak wisdom to a friend, and those sort of things? Because in our culture today, there's, we have a lot of friends who might not stand for things we would stand for and try to stand for things we wouldn't stand for, right? Everybody make sense? Everybody track that? So it can be confusing at times. When do we know? When do we, when do we come beside someone and stand with them? Or when do we say, you know, I can't stand with you. I love you, but I can't stand with you on this because this is totally against the word of God and against a, a godly value system, against a Christian worldview. So let's kind of unpack this a little bit. First one to look at is understanding uh, different friendship levels. This, this will kind of help us navigate this concept of when do we stand with a friend is understanding different friendship levels. So here we got the friendship pyramid, right? And uh, just kind of go down the, the, the pyramid here. At the top, very few of these is what we call intimate friends, um, committed to the development of each other's character. So this would be like accountability partners. These are where both friends are definitely walking with Jesus and holding each other accountable, um, have mutual responsibility and honesty with one another, uh, just really connected at the, at the Christ level, right? This is a very rare friend. There's not a lot of these around. Secondly, you have close friends, and the close friends here, um, similar, just a little bit lesser degree than the intimate friends, but they share the same worldviews, same values, so here both would be believers because the gospel is central to a Christian worldview. Uh, mutual interests and goals, work together very well, like to spend a lot of time with each other, um, those sort of things. Then we start to get to where most, most people are, and that is you know, casual friends, common interests, enjoy being around each other, but there's not a, a huge amount of emotional investment. Um, there's, there's genuine care and concern, but these aren't the ones that you call every day. These would be, you kind of bump into them every, you know, every now and then, and that's, that's fun. You like to hang out with them, but... You're just not super aggressive in pursuing that friendship. Then, of course, you have acquaintances, only occasional contact. And then the bottom of the pyramid, of course, is strangers. So we think through, how do we, what has God called us to do? Standing by friends at, at these different levels. You know, what's, what's our role? What's our purpose? How do we vivify them as a godly friend? So let's just kind of look at that briefly. First, strangers. Here, love initiates relationship. So you move into a new neighborhood or you have a, a new neighbor that moves into your neighborhood. Love, the follower of Jesus, who you know, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 14, let the love of Christ compel us. The follower of Christ is compelled to initiate relationship. So love takes the first step, just like Jesus does with us, right? Jesus takes the first step with all of us. Not a single one of us woke up one morning and said, you know what? I wanna know Jesus, I'm gonna pursue Jesus. We only do that because he's first 
working in our lives, right? John chapter 6, Jesus says very clearly, you know, I'm the bread of life. Anyone comes to me will never die. But then right after that, he qualifies, says, but no one can come to me unless the Father draws him, right? So there's got to be that, that wooing, that drawing that, that God does in their life. Same way, we're going to, to reciprocate that in human relationships. We're to initiate relationships for the sake of knowing people, loving them, and ultimately sharing the gospel and doing life with them through the gospel. And so here, we're to initiate that relationship and the gospel can be shared, all right? So the gospel can be shared in this, in this very early stage of relationship. But then we get to that next level. So we're, we're now acquaintances. Here, love initiates friendship. So here's where we go to the next level. So you've, got an, you, you've met the neighbor. You know their name. You kind of know what they do, um, why they moved into your neighborhood. You know those really superficial facts about each other a little bit, right? Well, now you go to the next level and you pursue the next step of friendship. Here, love will, love will do this. This is what Jesus did with disciples. This is what he teaches us to do. You know, invite them, invite them out for coffee. Invite them over for a, a cookout where you can begin to really take that next step in relationship. This is what serving Jesus and serving others, loving our neighbor as yourself looks like. Third, casual friends. We pursue closeness. By the way, I think I missed a, a blank here for you. Gospel should be shared. At this stage, the gospel should be shared at acquaintance. Now, casual friends, love pursues closeness. So now you're, you're moving beyond acquaintance. But here's where some of these more in-depth conversations happen. Here's where the gospel um, must be shared. Because in order for you to become close friends, you've got to share the same worldview. So that is so important, to share that same worldview. So that's where the gospel must be shared. There must be that conversation. All right, so what, what do you believe about Christ? What do you believe about you know, spiritual things? What do you believe about afterlife, right? So like right now, we have some neighbors, and neighbors, are they're, they're Bosnian. And as you know, most Bosnians are at least loosely Muslim in their, in their faith, right? So we are acquaintances, we're friends, but right now, we can't be that close friends because we share very different worldviews. Now, we, do, we can do fun things together. We can, you know, our kids play together all the time. It's a lot of fun, you know, and that sort of thing. But, but to go to that close, friend, intimate, transparent kind of level, you've got to have that same yoke, right? Because if you don't have that same, if you're yoking yourself at the close friend level with someone who's not a follower of Christ, it can be a problem. Let's look at some scripture on this. So, so close friends, love pursues total transparency. Here, uh, there must be gospel agreement, right? So here's what scripture says. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? So when it gets to that level of friendship, of close, and, and, and the close level and the intimate level of friendship, there's got to be gospel agreement, Deuteronomy 22.10 says, do not plow with an ox and a donkey together, right? So that's kind of a, a funny picture. You know, it looks something like this. Well, it looks exactly like that, actually, right? For an ox and a donkey to be yoked together. Interesting that God actually gave his people a command on this for both an, for an agricultural reason, but it also has a lot of implication to our life, right? Because if you, if you yoke a, a donkey and an ox, you're not getting the power of the yoke. What happens if you, if you kind of study this, an ox, he, 
He moves with a certain rhythm. You know, he pulls at certain steps. A donkey, his, his gait, his walk is different. So they're not pulling at the same time in their walk. They're, and what happens, they actually begin to negate each other. They work against each other in the whole process of plowing a field or whatever you have them pulling. So you lift that principle and apply it to life with friendships. If you are at, trying to be at the close friendship level with someone who's not a follower of Jesus, you are unequally yoked. And so what's gonna happen, their life and your life, you're gonna, you're gonna damage each other. You're gonna work against each other. You're not accomplishing God's design and the power of the yoke to become exponential and multiplied in your effectiveness, your fruitfulness with gospel work and just the overall joy and contentment in pursuit of life. It's gonna work against you for this. So we, we see that. We see 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, do not be misled. Don't be fooled, right? Bad company corrupts good character. That's pretty clear. So I go back to my sophomore year in high school. I'm a 10th grader. I'm on the football team, you know, but I'm the, I'm the young guy, right? I'm the, I'm the little runt on the team, and I'm the, the backup quarterback. Well, the starting quarterback, he, for some reason, he likes to start hanging out with me, which I thought was awesome, because I was 15, I couldn't drive. He was 17, he could drive, and he had a nice sports car, and it was just, you know, that's just kind of what I wanted to do. I wanted to go hang out with him, drive around town in the cool sports car, say hi to all the, the girls in his nice sports car. Y'all can see where this goes, right? And so I was really excited about this possible friendship. Well, my mom actually knew something about this guy and his family. They were not followers of Jesus. He was, he was just really not a good guy, you know, and so but I wanted to be his friend because of all what I thought would come with that. And so my mom and I had quite a few pretty um, passionate conversations, right, about her not letting me hang out with this guy. I mean, I would say things, I was so, you know, pompous and arrogant as a 15-year-old. You know how those 15-year-olds were and are. You know, we think we know a lot of life, but we really didn't. But I was like, Mom, who are you to tell me what kind of friends I can and can't have? Jesus. Once she got mad at me and grounded me for that, but you know. Anyway, we just all that back and forth stuff, right? And I just so wanted to be this guy's friend and she wouldn't let me. Well, a few years later, he gets in a lot of trouble. He really wasn't the good guy, you know? And so I'm, now I'm so thankful my mom stood her ground and would not let me go down that trail because I was pursuing close friendship with a guy, not because of him, because of all the stuff I might could get with him and you know, all that stuff. So, so thankful because she knows, she knew this principle. She knew that bad company corrupts good character and that, I, that we are not to be unequally yoked. We can have friends with unchurched people. We're supposed to. We're supposed to go from stranger to acquaintance, acquaintance to casual friendship with unbelievers to love them, to serve them, to share the gospel with them. But when it comes to those really close do life together friendships that, that really impact our life as well, those have got to be reserved for those with whom we are equally yoked so that we can have those intimate friends where we love and celebrate this precious gift that God gives us where we have a friendship where the gospel is the absolute center of our friendship and, and what we do together and why we do things together. So the gospel's gotta be central. So here's where we come to, when do we know to stand and not to stand? Nowhere does the Bible ever say 
to sacrifice his truth and his values for the sake of friendship. Because that is loving the friend more than we're loving God. The first commandment is to love God and then love our neighbor. So we can't make an idol out of friendship. And that's what I was, at the age of 15, that's what I was wanting to do. I was more interested in becoming a friend with the quarterback than honoring the Lord in my life and my friendships. We can, we can make an idol out of friendships. Anytime you and I compromise the word of God for the sake of a friend, to get a friend, to keep a friend, to you know, even quote unquote help a friend, we are committing idolatry with friendship. And we're not called to do that. We're called to keep God first because Jesus must be our best friend. When Jesus is your best friend, all, and he takes the first place in our life, then all these other relationships, all these other friendships and how we navigate those, you know, they're helped. Matthew 6, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these other things will be added to you as well. But after all, Jesus says this to us in John 15, 13. He says, no one has a greater love than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. So as we kind of think in terms of application as we close here, number one, is Jesus your best friend? Is he first place in your life? Has there been that moment in time when you've heard the gospel where it talks about how God is holy, pure, and righteous, all-powerful, creator, sustainer, and we're not. We're completely other than God. God is all-powerful. We are very limited. God is all-knowing. We are pretty ignorant, comparatively speaking. Right? God is holy and pure. We're sinners. We are sinful. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And you hear that. And yet God, because he loves us so much, he came to earth as one of us, clothed himself in flesh. Jesus became the God-man, still perfectly, purely God, but now completely purely human also. And he lived a life without sin. He became the true human. He was all that humanity was intended to be. And he went to the cross to sacrifice himself, to take on the justice, the punishment, the wrath that you and I deserve because of our sin. He took it upon himself, voluntarily suffering the wrath of God against our sin, bearing our shame, our guilt, our mess, and he died. Thankfully, he didn't stay dead. Of his own power, he rose again on the third day, conquering death, giving us now the freedom to receive grace and mercy. So instead of us being punished for the sin we've, we've committed for eternity, we're free to be blessed with everlasting life and to be completely forgiven and changed with purpose for all of eternity. What a great deal, amen? Because he is great friend we didn't deserve that he wasn't acting out of any sense of that he owed us but no that's just what unconditional agape love does so have you trusted in him have you embraced that gift with what a great friend jesus is that's first applications have you trusted in christ second 
What kind of friend are you to your friends? Are you bringing life to them? Are you, are you helping them when they fall down? Are you walking with them through tragedy? Are you the first one there when they've had a major setback to just to encourage them, to love them, to serve them? Are you helping them when they have others inflicted wounds or even self-inflicted wounds? Are you meeting their needs? Are you trying to hold them accountable spiritually, investing in them? And are you standing with them as you should when they're walking with Jesus? Are you that godly friend that's close or intimate? And then the third, do you have that friend in your life? I firmly believe it is God's will for all of us to have an intimate friend in our life. Because we need that, amen? Do you have that friend? If not, today, make that a focal point of prayer. As we get ready to have a time of response, just pray, God, raise up a friend who loves you and will and help me to love you more as well. That's a great prayer to pray, pray that. If you have an intimate friend, praise God for that, right? But then also pray, God, who around me needs me as their friend? And be willing to, to initiate that, because again, that's what love does. Let's all stand. We'll have a word of prayer, and we'll go into a time of response. Father God, we love you. Jesus, thank you that you are the greatest of all friends that you truly laid down your life for us because you love us, exemplifying what true, genuine gospel friendship looks like. Lord, I just pray over the different application points we mentioned, God, I pray that if there's anyone here uh, today that has never trusted in you as their Lord, their Savior, and their friend, that God, today would be the day when you just convince them of your love for them, their need for you, and how, God, our only hope of everlasting life, our only hope of living a life of purpose and meaning, our only hope of forgiveness of our sin is found in you and in you alone. So Lord, I pray that you would just bring conviction and hope and yearning for you in our hearts and minds right now. So that God, as we sing, if anyone's here and would like to talk about that, God, they would just come down and begin that incredible relationship, friendship with you that lasts forever. God, I pray for others here. I pray that for those that don't have a, an a intimate gospel friend, that God, that they would just cry out to you and that you would meet that need. That, Lord, you would raise someone up in their life um, just to be a great friend to them. God, I pray for those who, are, um, who have friends, but God, maybe something's happened in that friendship. And Lord, there's been a, a fight or a betrayal God, and it needs to be reconciliation. Lord, I pray that if any of us have a friend, that we need to seek their forgiveness because we've been the one that's betrayed or we've been the one that didn't do what we should have done, that God, there'd be, we would seek forgiveness. And God, maybe there's some in here who've been betrayed, who've been let down by a friend, and there needs to be forgiveness extended and reconciliation. Now, God, I pray you would just convict us of that and move us on that because God we're supposed to be ministers of reconciliation because we are reconciled to God 
But Lord, whatever is going on with our sphere of friendships, Lord, just speak to our hearts. Help us to take that next step. And God, to honor you in that. Lord, pray for other decisions that may need to be made this morning. Join in the church family or, or God, anything else that you may be dealing with us with. We just want to give this time to you to, to move in our hearts and minds for your glory, to, to stir us to love and good works, to stir us to obedience, to honoring you, and to live a sacrificial life of serving you and serving others. God, we give this time to you. Use it for your glory in Christ's name.